ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out. (laughs) On this podcast, what I want to talk about is a place that may be unfamiliar to a lot of you who are listening. That place is the record store. Now, some of you may be wondering, okay, what is a record store? (laughs) And as strange as that may sound, the idea and the concept of actually going somewhere to actually purchase a record or a CD or a tape is foreign. And quite honestly, there may be a few of you who've never set foot inside of a record store. So allow me to take you down memory lane a little. <laughs> um, I came to this uh, topic because obviously, if you've been following the podcast, a lot of times what I'll do is on this podcast, I have stories and, you know, ideas and podcasts and shows about you know, what life was like prior to, you know, the digital era or the internet era, if you will, because my generation was a generation of kids who grew up without the internet. Um, but there's an actual closer tie um, to this podcast to a closer generation. And what I mean by that is um, my son, uh, middle son, uh, he, at the time of this recording, he's 19. His name is Cameron. Um Cameron, this past Christmas, got a record player for Christmas. Um, He had expressed to us (laughs) in quite a few not so subtle ways that he was interested in purchasing vinyl. Um, And he wanted to start a vinyl collection. And uh, Kid is a huge hip hop fan. So, um, you know, he had, I don't think he, (laughs) I don't think he knew we were getting that for christmas but um he had dropped the hint a few times i was like you know that'd be a dope christmas gift you know get him a record play against some records right so um the idea behind this podcast kind of stemmed from that uh so he got his record player for christmas you know of course unbeknownst to him he he had no clue um and what i did was i purchased some records for him now i bought four records and i want you to take a listen to the (laughs) records that i purchased for him one midnight marauders by a tribe called quest two uh forest hill drives album, the forest hill drives album by uh j cole three the music aquarium album by Stevie wonder, which was a compilation of, uh, I think seven of his greatest albums, like some of the bigger hits off of those albums. Um, and there's a story about that album and I'll tell you in just a second. And then the fourth album that I bought was enter the 36 chambers by Wu-Tang clan. Um, I know what you're thinking. That's a collect. (laughs) That's an interesting collection of music. Uh, It's a very eclectic, if you will, collection of music. But it actually represents, you know, 
a lot of what he listens to. Um, I wanted to get him a tribe joint because, you know, I, I love tribe and I knew he'd love tribe too. And he's, and he, obviously he's heard this music before. Um, he's heard midnight Marauders before, but I knew that it would sound dope on vinyl. He's a huge J Cole fan. So I had to get him the forest Hills album. Um, the music aquarium album, again, like I said, it's a compilation of Stevie wonders, classic hits. Um, I wanted to get him that album because I wanted him to hear Stevie Wonder on vinyl. Of course, he's heard me play music and heard me play Stevie's music a lot. But I wanted to get that album in particular because that was an album that was in my house as I grew up as a child. Uh, my parents had mad Stevie Wonder records. Uh, I know like the favorite records that I used to play from Stevie was the Hotter Than July album and obviously Songs in the Key of Life. And then we had this Aquarium album. Well, we had all of the albums, but I just remember playing those. I must have been like nine, 10 years old. I just remember playing them all the time, singing Stevie songs. Um, and then, so I had to get him that. And then the 36 Chambers, this kid is a huge Wu-Tang fan. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I, I had to get him those albums. So after I did that, a couple of weeks later, he went and bought some albums on his own. He went and bought Illmatic by Nas, ATLians by Outkast, and Straight Out of Compton by NWA. So he's building himself a little collection and everything. And as you can see, he's a huge hip hop fan. But um, you know, he went on his own and well, actually went with his girlfriend and you know, they went to a store downtown um, called Criminal Records, <laughs> aptly named Criminal Records uh, here in Atlanta. And uh, he bought these these albums. But um, anyway, I said all that to say this. The idea and the concept of records got me to thinking about the record store because I took Cameron and his two brothers um, maybe about three years ago, I took them to a record store. I took, I actually took them to criminal records. And, um, that was the first time that they had been in a record store. And I was just trying to explain to them, like the record store was everything back in the day, <laughs> at least for me, it was, um, first of all, shopping at a record store was always fun. Like I never, I, I can't I can't ever recall going to a record store and not having fun. And I mean, like for me, if you follow this podcast, you know that I'm a huge music fan. So that goes without saying. So and subsequently, I know just from conversations that I've had with a lot of you on social media, um, you're music fans as well. So uh, I think the record store for me was a place where I was able to cultivate the love that I have with music. Um, because honestly I could go and I did, I would go in a record store and I literally would spend hours in the record store. <laughs> now, what was interesting was, especially in my formative years in middle school and high school and even in college, like, it wasn't, I mean, in college, I had a little bit of money, but you know, in high school, you got, if you were lucky, you had enough music, you had enough money for 
two tapes, maybe, if that, right? So for the most part, if you're going in record store, you're just going to get one thing. <laughs> that's it, because that's all you can afford. Um, but again, shopping, at least for me, was always fun because half of the fun was just looking at the albums. Um, one of the ways that we shopped, and you know, I, I've said this before, me and my man Eclectic talked about it. Um, one of the ways you shop was just you would buy stuff just based on the album cover. <laughs> like if it had a dope album cover, you might cop it, you know, and, and it's just like you didn't even think nothing of it. Um, you know, because again, this was before the advent of technology. So there was nobody to tell you like, hey, you need to get this or don't get that. Um, so a lot of times, you know, we just bought music based on the album cover. So, you know, I remember seeing <laughs> um, LL Cool J on the um, the on his album cover for the, the, the album Bad, um, Bigger and Deffer. And I just, I thought it was dope. He was standing on top of the hood of a car with a school in the behind him. And he had on these dope Air Jordans. And I mean, of course, at that time, we knew who LL was. But still, like, his album cover was crazy. Um, Ice-T had a crazy album cover. <laughs> Shout out to Darlene. <laughs> oh, and who could ever forget the album As Nasty As They Wanna Be? from uncle luke and the two live crew <laughs> that might be the one of the greatest album covers ever um but i said all that to say this like you still bought the albums just based on you know just what you saw um and especially you know in the early to mid 80s you know there weren't even a lot of videos for some of these albums that we bought so you either bought the album or the tape um because at that time cds weren't even out so more often than not, when I was in middle school, I bought tapes. I'm saying albums, but I bought tapes. Um, but like I said, you you would spend hours. At least I would spend hours in a record store. Um, again, this was before the advent of the internet. So when I bought tapes in the mid to late 80s, there was no reviews. <laughs> There was no source. I mean, well, you know, I take that back. The source magazine did exist, but I don't think I read my first source magazine until like, I know I was in college. So that, that was like early 90s. So it's like 91, 92. So, you know, the source would factor in later, but, you know, there were no websites because there was no internet. So there was nothing to tell you like what to buy. What we relied on was word of mouth. So if I got the new Beastie Boys tape, which I did, <laughs> and I thought it was dope, I'm going to tell my boy Zell, like, yo, you need to hit his, you got that Beastie Boys? No, I don't have it. Hey, man, you need to get that. That that joint is dope. And that's how albums and tapes were sold. On word of mouth, on the strength of, like, somebody having something and knowing that it was dope, and then they tell their friends. Um, and that's really how we got our music um and like i said the people your friends normally let you know what to buy and subsequently what not 
to buy. Because <laughs> we did buy some albums and tapes that just really weren't up to par. But for the most part, I can honestly say most of the stuff that I bought was pretty solid, pretty dope. Um, that was just the times and the era that we were in. And um, another thing that made that era so dope and what made the record store so dope was exclusivity. And what I mean by that is like, if you copped a tape or an album, you may or may not tell folks where you got it from. <laughs> and so for you to have something that nobody else had and none of your other friends had, well, that made you the man. I mean, like, that made you dope as hell, particularly if you had something and you had something that was really, really dope and nobody else had it. And, you know, even worse, if they didn't know how to get it. Oh, man. And that's, that kind of remi- <laughs> kind of reminds me of... Uh, uh, my man eclectic uh you you guys have heard him on here a gazillion times and heard me on his podcast um i always say about his podcast like he will play music on his podcast and sometimes i have to text him like yo what song is that like it's it's stuff that i've never heard and and i'm pretty sure i'm 99.9% sure that this is music that he just has and it's music like that nobody else and i'm not saying that he has exclusive music, but what I'm saying is he has the remixes of the remixes that a lot of people haven't heard. And this is just in his personal collection. Um, but yeah, being able to, you know, get music and and have it exclusive just to you made you, you know, even doper. Um, and then ultimately, if you had something or had some music, a tape or an album that let's say your friends had uh, or or vice versa. Let's say your friend had something that you didn't have. What are you going to do? First thing you're going to do is ask, Hey man, can I cop a dub? And what we mean by copying a dub, um, back in the day, (laughs) they, uh, you had a tape and then they started selling these boom boxes with dual cassette players. And the dual cassette players allowed you to play a tape in one tape deck and record it in another tape deck and put it on another cassette tape. So um, my boy, like I'll give you an example. My boy Jay Fresh was the first person that I knew that had the dual cassette players. So if you had a tape, he could, you know, you know, dub it for you and put it on a blank tape or if you wanted to tape over another tape or whatever the case may be. Um, but Jay Fresh is real stingy. <laughs> I remember Jay Fresh, he was the first person that I ever he, he might have been the first person in our hometown. He was the only person that I knew that knew and had the easy e tape. And I'm talking about this was this might have been easy e and NWA like the first joint, like even before e, before um uh, Easy's solo album came out. He had a tape, and I just remember he, he was playing it, and I was like, "Yo, who is it?" He's like, "Man, it's NWA, this Easy E," and I was like, "Yo, let me get a let me get a dub." He was like, "Nah," <laughs> and I was like, "Why not?" He's like, "Man, because you you be stealing from the artist. You need to pay the artist their money." <laughs> I was like, 
And I mean, like, we must have been in, like, I don't know, seventh, eighth grade. I'm like, yo, man, if you don't cop me a dub, I'm going to kick your ass, man. Like, what are you talking about? Pay the artist. I'm, I'm, I'm a teenager. I, I have no money. <laughs> but yeah, Jay Fresh is real stingy like that. He some sometimes he would not let he would not let people cop a dub. But for the most part, if you had a tape, he'd get you. He he dub it for you, or whatever like that. He would he would find like really really, you know, kind of out of the way music. Um, like he was the first one. Like I remember we were in seventh grade and he was just he was crazy about tough crew <laughs> like who the hell is who the hell is tough crew shout out to philly um but yeah he was crazy about tough crew and seven eight three i mean like he'd find these nondescript rappers and just love them but you know they were dope and so ultimately you wanted to you know cop a dub so you could you know have it for yourself but all of that stuff transpired because of the availability of the music at the record store so um, you know, if you had access to a record store and if you could get your hands on stuff that nobody else could get your hands on, you know, again, that made you the man. Um, now the flip side of that is when an album sells out, the last thing that you want a record store to say is, oh, we're sold out of that. <laughs> Okay, so young people, let me explain something to you. There was a time that record stores would get tapes and albums and CDs for that matter. And if the record store sold out of their copies, that was it. Like there was no, yo, can I get, you know, such and such? No, we don't have it. Oh, okay, well, let me get this. No, we don't have it. Like, and the crazy part about it was by the early 90s, you know, the demand for music was such that you really had to get the music when it came out. Because if you didn't, you ran the risk of going to the record store and them selling out, and then you had to wait. You know, like, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of two albums. Um, 1992, Dr. Dre's The Chronic, 1993's uh, Doggy Style by Snoop Dogg. Um, I know people, I wasn't one of them, <laughs> but I know people who did not get these albums the first week that they came out. And they had to walk around our campus on the state, on the, on the campus of South Carolina State University for a week without the chronic or doggy style. Do you know how lame you would feel <laughs> if you didn't have the chronic or doggy style when it came out? I remember distinctly, and I've talked about it on, on this podcast and it's worth repeating. Doggy style, the albums normally would come out on Tuesday. I went to the record store because the, 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 the uh, date, the release date got pushed up to a Friday. So I went to, uh, I think it was Camelot Music um, at the mall um, in Orangeburg, South Carolina. And I went to the mall and because the album was coming out on Friday, so the store actually opened up at midnight. So they closed at nine. 
Then they opened back up at midnight just so people would come and get, you know, doggy style. And I got there like 1130. And by the time I got to the store at 1130, now keep in mind, the store has not opened because it's 1130 p.m. The store is going to open at 12 a.m. so that you can purchase doggy style. The line was out of the mall and around the corner <laughs> of people waiting on Doggy Style. And the album sold like 830,000 copies um, in the first week. And I mean, like in the first week, meaning in the first like four days. So just imagine calling the, the record store and saying, hey, you got that new Doggy Style? No, we out. And I mean, everybody had that album. And so you you would have been like so lame <laughs> for not having that album. But um, like I said, that's, you know, that's something that, you know, this generation won't obviously experience because one, you know, there's no such thing as not having availability because, you know, yeah, if I wanted to purchase songs in the key of life maybe the record store that i go to won't have it but i could still order it online i could order it off amazon and it may take a little longer you know it might take a week and you know sometimes uh particularly with vinyl and i was explaining this to cameron that sometimes with vinyl um you know the music is on back order and if there's not a you know strong demand for it you you may not get a lot of vinyl copies pressed um, and so it's kind of hit or miss for some albums. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, people who collect vinyl, they, from what I can tell, they do a pretty good job of getting the albums that they want. Um, but yeah, you, this generation, <laughs> you'll never understand, you know, what it, what it would be like to, and the pressure of you knowing that, hey, an album is coming out, Illmatic is coming out, Mary J. Blige, you know, what's the 411 is coming out this tuesday i have to get my 9.99 together <laughs> and i've got to make plans to get to the record store before they sell out um i mentioned the source a little earlier uh reviews and previewing music was something that happened in the 90s and it changed the game um obviously if you follow hip-hop the source was considered to be and it prided itself as being self-proclaimed hip-hop's bible um i love reading the source and honestly when i would get the source or even if i didn't buy the source if i saw it in, in a record record store or anywhere else um the first thing i do is look at the cover and then i'd open it and i go straight to the uh, album reviews uh section at the back of the magazine because i wanted to know and my taste in music was very similar to, you know, the rating that people had in the source. So if the source gave it four mics, I'm probably buying it. If the source gave it four and a half mics, I'm definitely buying it. And suffice to say, if the source gave it five mics, I got it. <laughs> but, you know, even in saying that, I mean, like it was a big deal to for an album. We talked about this before. Uh, an album to get five mics in the source because obviously you know like that's saying that this album is a hip-hop classic and it's perfect uh now 
I have a certain feeling about the word classic and how much is thrown around hip hop in it, but I don't have time to talk about it. Uh, that's, that's a whole nother podcast for another day, but I will say this much. Um, with that being said, the reviews and stuff drove us to the record stores to purchase these albums. Um, and then by the mid to late nineties, uh, some record stores had it to where you could actually preview the album before you would before you could buy it. What I mean by that is like they had these stations where you would have some headphones set up and, you know, let's say uh, Mary J. Blige is my life is there. And so you press the button and it would allow you to listen to a 30 second clip of every song on the album. And, you know, a lot of times that would influence people as to whether or not they would or wouldn't buy the album. Now, for me, I I was okay on that because, like, for me, 30 seconds isn't enough for me to make a determination whether or not a song is dope or is, or if it's whack. whack. But, you know, it helped a lot of people. Um, but being able to preview the music really made a difference. Um, and, you know, it influenced how much music was purchased and, and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, one of the places that did that a lot was Tower Records. Uh, I love Tower Records, man. Tower Records was one of those places that you literally could spend two, three hours in Tower Records for real. And I mean, like everybody, no matter which Tower Record you go to, at least the ones that I went to, everybody was always mad friendly. You strike up conversations with the people that work there. And if they got to really, really know you, you got to, you know, Sometimes they put music away for you <laughs> and stuff like that. So, um, but, you know, being able to listen to the music and then also, you know, reading reviews that definitely drove us to record stores to, to, to make purchases. Um, and last but not least, man, I, I would be remiss if I did not shout out uh, some of my favorite record stores. Uh, the one that I probably spent the most money in. Um, which is still here to this day in my hometown, uh, Ray's record records in Florence, South Carolina. Um, it's still there, still, still same spot. Um, I don't even know if they're, if it's the same management. It's, and it's funny because Ray's was a record store that, um, they would sell obviously records, tapes, CDs. Uh, they also sold comic books. <laughs> So like you could go and raise, man. And it wasn't a really, relatively speaking, it really wasn't a huge store, but man, it just, we, man, me and Jay Fresh would go in there, man. We would spend at least an hour just walking around and you got to know the people that work there and everything and, you know, just carry on conversation. It was almost like the hangout spot, really. Um, where else? Uh, Manifest Records was dope back in the day. Um, that they were in, um, my hometown in Florence, South Carolina, also in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, Camelot music was dope. Uh, used to spend a lot of time at Camelot, um, that record store. Of course, the aforementioned Tower Records, uh, like I said, Tower Records are probably one of my favorites. Um, oh, can't forget Electric Fetus. Electric Fetus is this really, really dope record store in Minneapolis. Uh, as many of you know, I lived in Minneapolis for a year and um, lived and worked in Minneapolis. And um, man, Electric Fetus is so, I used to go to Electric Fetus like 
couple of times a week. <laughs> it was so dope. Um, they've got a couple of different locations in, in, in Minneapolis. Um, but uh, I used to always go to the main one downtown and um, love that spot, man. Love that, man. You you could buy clothes in electric feeders. <laughs> um, super, super dope spot. If and when I ever go back to Minneapolis, that's going to be the first place that I go when the plane lands. I promise you. Um, also, the def- now defunct is no longer here, but uh, Earwax Records uh, used to be a spot called Earwax uh, right here in the city of Atlanta downtown. Man, I used to love going into Earwax, man, because everybody in there was mad cool. I knew a couple of cats that worked in there, and like it was almost like a reunion every time I go in there. Like I remember um, going in there, and I bought like I don't know, I bought like seven CDs one time. And I bought this, I went in, got the CDs, and I paid for the CDs probably within two minutes of being in the store, right? Put the CDs in the bag, walked them out to the car, put the uh put the CDs in the car, came back in the store and spent an hour and a half just talking to people. <laughs> man, I was crushed when earwax went out of business, man. I was crushed. Um but yeah, those are those are some of the spots, man. I spent I, I've spent quite a bit of money in record stores, and if you're of my age or my era, uh, you probably did too. Um, if you are young enough or, or had to not have experienced that, do yourself a favor: go to a record store. I promise you, it will be an experience. That's going to do it for me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for checking out this edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. This podcast is being released every Thursday at midnight. From time to time this year, we will be releasing new episodes, bonus episodes on Sundays at midnight as well. Also, check out the YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com backslash spell it out t-w-e-l-v t-w-e-l-v-e-k-y-l-e got stumped there for a second um to check out the youtube channel as well uh so do yourself a favor and do that as well again i'm your boy 12 kyle i'll catch you guys next time 5g